Hello, everybody, and welcome inside to the fourth episode of the Com Radio Football Insiders podcast. Yes, this is Andrew Desta again, coming to you from West Coast, Best Coast, alongside two guys from just outside of Philly, Andrew Field, Zach Donaldson, and a confirmed Pittsburgher in DJ Bauer. Guys, let's get right into this game. Fifth straight loss for Penn State. They lose to Iowa at home 41-21. to That's their fifth loss in a row. Worst start in program history. It's a program that's had 127 seasons. And, guys, this has to be pretty much rock bottom for Penn State's football program. And I feel like a broken record, but I'll ask it again. What went wrong on Saturday? Well, you know, I got the firsthand experience of it, you know, calling the game for Com Radio. So I got to take a pretty good look at everything that went wrong. And, you know, I think the number one thing for me is the thing that James Franklin was stressing over and over in the press conference last Tuesday, and that was that Penn State is turning over the football way too often. And that's exactly what they did against Iowa. They turned over the ball four times, twice more on downs, which we'll get into those fourth, you know, fourth down play calling eventually in this podcast. Um, but, you know, it makes me question if turnovers was such a big point of emphasis last week and you turn over the ball six times this game, what on earth were you doing in practice? Uh, you know, there's just so many things you have to wonder here, um, you know, what is going on in practice that is not translating to success on the football field? And if turnovers was that number one thing, if that's the number one thing you're focusing on and you're putting everything secondary to that, if that's not coming out well, then nothing else is going to come out well with that secondary to the turnovers. So I just don't understand what could be going on, you know, with the inner mechanisms of this team that's causing them to underperform like this week after week after week. Yeah, I think that really there's a lot of things that we're going to get into and talk about. But for me, I think just pinpointing something in particular, there was a lot, there's a couple key situations in the game where momentum shifting plays that if Penn State makes, I think it's a different ball game. One in particular that I'm thinking of off the top of my head was uh, Jaquan Brisker dropped interception. And I think that that's a play where you it, you have to make. And it was just, for me, it's things like that that have kind of embodied Penn State season. It's been a lot of plays where it could have went the other way, could have went Penn State's way, but goes the other team, the opposing team, the, the opposing team's way. So really that for me stuck out to just kind of like embody this game and this season in general. But obviously we'll, we'll talk about the fourth down calls and situations like that. But I think that another thing was going away from the run game and just really throwing, throwing the ball way too much and not being consistent enough. I understand when you're down two or three scores, it's, it's tricky to kind of stay consistent with who you are as an offense. But that for me was something where the consistency on that side of the ball was not where it needed to be. And then again, slow starts. You're down 24-7 at the half. And every game this year, Penn State has trailed at the half. And I wrote in my editorial today, uh, last night actually, just like the way that Penn State has came out of the gate, it's been different than in years past. Yes, Penn State has struggled to start fast in years past, but this is different because they're playing even more sluggish than they have been. And when you're down deficits of off the top of my head, it's like 10, 15, 21, 21. And then I think 17, if I got that correctly, I think I did uh, at, at every half, it's just like, 
it, it's so difficult to, to start and come back. And even when you do, and even when you make a dent in that, which we saw in yesterday's game and Penn State climbed back in and it was a two-score game, and then it's like, okay, if we get the ball back, then maybe it's, you know, things go Penn State's way. But really, you're already when you're already starting 10 yards back at the starting blocks, it just makes it that much more difficult to, to climb back into the game. So, I mean, that's an issue that I think, along with the turnovers, needs to be addressed. And if it isn't, then this Penn State team could, uh, could face uh, some more trouble along the way. Yeah, it's funny. I, I just feel like the beginning of all of these podcasts just sound the exact same. Like, you, like we've been saying, broken right? It's the same stuff that we're that we're witnessing week after week from this Penn State team. Um, I mean, DJ talked about turnovers are a little bit fieldy slow starts. I mean, both of those are are probably you know the the overlying headline of of this entire season. And it was the same. It was the same was the case on Saturday. Um, I guess you could throw play calling and and then poor execution into that mix as well. Um, like field, you talked about Brisker's interception that could have been a, a, a big, you know, momentum shifting play. And as you see, as we've seen Penn state kind of struggles to, you know, get, get good energy on the sideline and and in the game. So I think that would have been something that, that really could have helped the team out, um, just executing on, on multiple occasions. Um, and then, uh, the play play up front has been, has been very lackluster. I thought Iowa dominated on in, in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Um, Penn State's run defense was really bad. Um, the defensive line for Iowa was was getting in both Penn State quarterback faces all game. Um, and then also I'll say another thing that I think has has been a big storyline this season and was the same in the game on Saturday is tackling. Um, it's it's funny. I forget. I think it was was it Matt Millen. Is that the correct? I th- I, yeah. Okay. So it was Matt Millen who played football for Penn State in 1960s. So he's been watching Penn State for years, and he said that this is the worst tackling Nittany Lions team that he's ever seen. And so I don't know. I think that speaks a lot of volumes from from someone who definitely knows what he's talking about. And and it, it certainly as a you know a less seasoned viewer, it certainly doesn't seem like a great tackling team to me either we'll get into some of the defensive problems in a little bit but one thing I wanted to talk about was uh, DJ mentioned the post-game press conferences and some of the news that came out from that Uh, there were a lot of guys who weren't available for the game on Saturday and one of them who wasn't a pretty substantial name uh, Pat Fryermuth the preseason All-American tight end starting tight end missing the remainder of the season due to an injury uh, an undisclosed injury that he's getting surgery for so he didn't play against Iowa and Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson, they played. They, they combined for five catches, 52 yards, and a touchdown. But losing Frymuth, I mean, you want to talk about a season where you've already lost Trini Brown, you've already lost Noah Kane, Micah Parsons opted out early. Now you lose Pat Frymuth. This is a huge loss for the Nits, isn't it? Yeah, it seems like it's like a new kick in the knee every single week for the Nittany Lions. Um, you, you mentioned it all. You know, Micah Parsons opts out. Journey Brown can no longer play football. Noah Kane out for the season with a season-ending injury. Pat Fryermuth out for the season with a season-ending injury. It's like all of the key players that, you know, Penn State needed to contribute to bring their talents to this team to make this a winning team, they're dropping like flies. And, like, you know, it's just part of an unfortunate season for the Nittany Lions. And, and, you know, a lot of it has to deal with the fact that mentally they seem kind of checked out. 
they're not executing on the field. But whenever you throw in these like kind of backbreaking things every single week, I mean, it's so difficult to recover from. And, you know, the question now with Fryermuth out, who, you know, arguably one of the top tight ends in the entire nation, a guy that is, you know, in all likelihood going to leave uh, this year and head for the NFL draft, most likely a first or second round pick. Um, you know, the question at that point is who's going to replace that production. It, it's, it's hard. I know in podcasts past, we've talked about, you know, who's going to replace Micah Parsons. You can't replace Micah Parsons. And the same thing can be said for Pat Fryermuth. He's too talented. You can't immediately, you know, find someone to replace him like that. We did see an encouraging sign from Bretton Strange. Um, he had a touchdown. It was his first since last year against Idaho um, on that 28-yard connection on Clifford's first play of the game. Um, so that is cer- certainly something encouraging to see. Um, but Strange is not as experienced as Fryermuth is. He doesn't have the same, um, you know, uh, a body and build that Fryermuth has that makes him such a force to be reckoned with. So, you know, we'll see what develops with him in, in practice and, and if that, you know, translates onto the field. Um, but this is just a, a massive blow for Penn State in the season that has just been replete with them. Yeah, I think in, when you look at that tight end room, Tyler Bowen's group, um, there's going to be a lot of rotation like we saw in yesterday's game with Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, and then Zach Koontz, who wasn't available uh, in yesterday's game. Will he be in the last three games, we're not sure. But adding him to the equation does certainly help the tight end room. And again, DJ mentioned the the day that Brenton Strange had, he did he did make some nice plays. And Theo Johnson was in there as well, making a catch or two. So both guys contributed. But filling the void of Pat Fryermuth obviously is going to be very difficult to do. So how you do that, I guess again, rotate them in and give different looks for the defense because they each pose different challenges and different threats. And I think they're a skilled group. It's still a really skilled group without firing still, which is a credit to the tight end room that Tyler Bowen and James Franklin have been able to cultivate um, so far uh, in their tenures. But overall, yeah, it's a huge loss for the offense. And again, losing player after player, it's, it's difficult. It's really tough to bounce back from. And all teams deal with injuries. Every program deals with that, regardless of the situation. But especially now with pandemic and players have been opting out, and you saw that with Michael Parsons. But overall, really, it's just a matter of next man up mentality. And that's really all that Penn State can do at this point in the tight end room. Yeah, injuries absolutely starting to pile up after this Friar Meath news. You could probably argue that Penn State has is is without their top three, you know, weapons now in Parsons, Brown, and Friar Meath. So I mean, yeah, like like you said, all teams deal with injuries, but you know, these are some pretty significant ones that that the Nittany Lions have had to overcome and, and it's it's shown up so far. Um in, in terms of um, by the way, props to Prime for for trying to stick it out um, in those two games following the Ohio State game. They, there's vagueness surrounding the injury, so don't really know what it is, but um, props to him playing regardless. In, in terms of replacing him, like DJ said, you can't replace um, that production. So at this point in the season, I'm really kind of looking uh, to the future and a, a guy that, um, Field, you talked about him, I think, uh, Theo Johnson is, you know, he's a really big time recruit. A lot of people um, excited about him coming in. Um, 
was in the game uh, on Saturday, made a couple of catches, you know, um, he made no, nothing too significant, but um, it, it was good to see him getting out there on the field. Um, Brenton Strange, definitely, definitely a good option. Zach Koontz as well, but Theo Johnson's a guy who I'm going to be really looking at just to see if, you know, see if he can kind of give us a, give us a taste of, you know, what he's got. And just to interject here, um, just to show like how, how crazy significant these injuries and stuff have been something that um, David Hadar and I mentioned in, in yesterday's broadcast, you take a look at Penn state a year ago and you take a look at who started in the game against Iowa in Iowa city. And you, you know, you take a look at the list of names here, right? Noah Kane out for the season, journey Brown can't play football anymore. Ricky Slade transferred. KJ Hamler went to the NFL draft, Pat Fryermuth out for the season, Justin Shorter transferred. And if you, you know, account for the fact that Sean Clifford didn't start yesterday, the only starters in that Iowa game from last year in terms of the position players on offense were Jahan Dotson and Devin Ford. So this is, this is like a completely new look Nittany Lions team. And they weren't expecting that. That's the thing is that they were going to rely on the experience of, of all these guys coming back and being better. And they just don't have that anymore. And I also, also put it in there to add to the injuries, Devin Ford also injured. So add that to the list. There's, I mean, the list goes on and on, but he also was injured. So now Penn State's down to Kaziah Holmes and Kevon Lee, the guys we've been talking about all year long, it's down to the two of them. So obviously we didn't plan it like that. No one planned it like that, but it's, it's happened. It's, it's Lee and Holmes or nothing. So, and I think maybe this is a name, this is just off the top of my head, Tank Smith as the, as the third string now, I guess, technically the retro freshman. Um, so yeah, I didn't think I would ever say that this year, but it's down to those two guys and, and Tank Smith. Yeah. Good note in bringing up Tank Smith. And while I have him up here on the Penn state football roster, you know, coming in a bruiser at the running back position, five, seven, two twenty seven. Um, you just don't see stats like that pretty frequently. So having him in the running back room, uh, might as well be a, another linebacker there, but Tank Smith, that's a name to watch out for because, you know, you said it, guys. It's a depleted team injury-wise. It's all around. So um, you look at the running back spot. You look in the secondary. Tariq Castro-Fields wasn't available yesterday and instead saw two young guys in Keaton Ellis and Joey Porter Jr. there. So it's not just offense. It's everywhere, really. Um, but now we've got to talk about it. It's the quarterback controversy. Will Levis got the start against Iowa uh, after nearly leading the comeback against Nebraska, but he struggled. 13 of 16 doesn't really tell the story. That's what he was in terms of completing uh, passes, but he barely threw for 100 yards, no touchdowns, and only seven points when he was running the show on offense. Sean Clifford, he came in late in the third quarter, and he gave a little bit of a spark, had two touchdowns on his first two passes, but he also had two bad interception interceptions and DJ, you can tell us all about the one, the 71-yard return with the uh, Euro step on the return. So it's a quarterback controversy in Happy Valley and certainly not in a good way, guys. Yeah, and I just want to point out the similarities between what happened last week in Nebraska and what happened this week in Iowa. You know, last week in Nebraska, Sean Clifford gets the start. He struggles. He has some turnovers. They take him out of the game. They put in Will Levis. He temporarily provides a spark. And suddenly it looks like Penn State is back in the game. But once again, those, you know, turnovers, those mishaps catch up to him at the end of the game and Penn State is not able to complete the comeback. And then against Iowa, Will Levis gets the start, starts playing well early, suddenly starts having problems with turnovers, can't execute. They pull him out of the game. 
they put in Sean Clifford, who temporarily provides a spark. And it seems like Penn State is back in the game. And what happened? Exact same thing that happened in Nebraska. They couldn't complete the comeback. Turnovers and mishaps started happening again. And Penn State loses two in a row. And now they're, they're now 0-5 for the first time in program history. So, you know, you take a look at it, basically the same thing happening twice in terms of your quarterback room. That makes me wonder if, you know, the solution at quarterback is either of those guys. I mean, obviously, those are the two that they're looking at right now as the most experienced members of this room. Both of them are the only quarterbacks on the roster that have started games in college so far. Um, and I expect that going forward here, they're probably going to have to roll with one of those two. But, you know, it, of course, you know, the question is which one is going to start. I'm not sure if, if Clifford's, um, you know, sudden appearance in, in uh, bringing a spark late in the Iowa game is enough to get him the start for Michigan next week. We'll just have to wait and see. But, you know, the, it begs the question, when are they going to look at the other quarterbacks in the roster? Um, you know, Taquan Roberson is a guy that hasn't had any, you know, on-field experience yet. Neither is Michael Bowens. He's a guy that hasn't even been on the active roster so far this season. So, you know, the question is, I think at this point, if you're James Franklin, you need to start evaluating all your options. You can't limit yourself to just, you know, Clifford and Levis at this point. you got to take a look at anything um, that the other guys can provide for your team. Yeah, I mean, it's a, certainly an issue that I think Penn State, James Franklin, didn't think that they would be dealing with, especially at this point in the season. And in Franklin's tenure, I don't think it really has been an issue. The only time that I can reflect back and think about it, this isn't midseason or during the season, but preseason, there was the battle between, if you'll, if you'll think back with me, uh, between Tommy Stevens and Trace McSorley. So that was really the last time, you know, there was like the legitimate battle. And then to be honest, both quarterbacks provide positive and negative aspects to the offense. That goes without being said. But I think if you're looking at them both, Sean Clifford, his mindset, I don't think he's in the right headspace right now. Um, he really just, you know, those two touchdowns when he came in and threw two passes and scored, it was like almost like a dream. It was it was really something that if you've been watching and following this team all season long, those were his best plays that he's made all season. And maybe the Indiana run, the Indiana touchdown run in the first game, that was his other best play of the season, I would argue. But other than that, I mean, he really hasn't done anything um, that special. And it's just – if you're Franklin, what do you do? And you look at Levis and he hasn't really been or isn't that much better. And there's pros and cons of him as well. Look at his first half against Iowa. And we just kind of touched on that, but he had that one drive where Penn State executed and they looked pretty solid and pretty efficient, but he runs the ball in Kirk Schrock's offense. I think way too much. He takes way too many hits it's almost as like, I think, again, we talked about Matt Millen. Matt Millen pointed out he's like he's like a fullback or a running back out there. Eventually, that's going to catch up to you, and I kind of have a problem with that when you run the ball. I believe the, the stat that Destin has been keeping track of all season long, I'm assuming it has held up Penn State running the ball more than seven, 17 times a game, quarterback yeah. runs. It's 17 times, and the stat combined between the two quarterbacks was 21 times against Iowa. Yeah. So there you go just you can't do that and be effective um and i just think that it's t it's just at this point in the season 
really what can you do? I would say go go young and go to Roberson, but he wasn't available. So really in this situation, I do think Clifford's the better quarterback, but the mindset, like I alluded to earlier, he's not there. So I would go with, I, I guess, Levis, but I could see if they keep Clifford in. And there's been a, a lot of um, back and forth between the fan base and everyone around the team that's following the team of who they think should be the quarterback. But I think ultimately right now, whoever James Franklin decides, it's kind of a pick em. So I don't think either quarterback has pushed past. And it's funny enough that I say that because Sean Clifford played pretty much the majority of the season last year without with a small injury at the end of the season. But he won that quarterback battle and pushed himself past, you know, Levis and even, you know, competed with Tommy Stevens as well. And then Tommy Stevens transferred. So really, Franklin, I guess, liked what he saw in Clifford last year. But this year, it's a, he's a totally different quarterback. And the numbers prove it. And they just they just do. Yeah, I mean, discussing this, is, I, I think it's pretty evident that Penn State has a huge problem at quarterback. You know, Lev- Levis started the game, obviously. Um, he, stat-wise, he was he was efficient throwing the football, but it, if you watch watch the game, he would he would dump every practically everything off underneath. If if his first read wasn't there, um, he would he would panic and try to run or or, you know, just like I said, dump it underneath. Um, and that's not, that's not enough. That's not going to get it done in, in an offense that, that needs to have some explosive big plays. Um, then you got a Clifford came in and th- threw a deep bomb to, to Dotson found an open Brenton strange uh, for another touchdown. I thought, you know, like field, you were saying that those are probably his two best plays of the season. Like I was like, who is like, this is not, what did you do with Sean Clifford? This is, this is not Sean Clifford. Um, I mean, based off of how he's played this year, this this that looked like the Sean Clifford of last year, but um, but between the two, and but then yeah, obviously, and then they both struggled with turnovers. Between the two, I I think Clifford is the better quarterback. Um, but Field, you were saying it, his his mindset. I don't think he's he's in a, you know, a mindset right now that will allow him to succeed. Um, and just he can't stop turning the ball over. I mean, just two really really bad inter- interceptions again. Um. And then Levis proved uh, ter- pretty pretty turnover prone too. So I mean, with that said, I, I don't think either are a solution. Um, and I agree. I think at this point in the season, um, Taquan Roberson needs to be considered. Just look look young. Uh, look to the future at this point. Um, I think he was a developmental squad uh, p- player of the year. So he, he obviously has some some talent. They they know what he can do. Um, and yeah, at this point, give give him a shot. Why not? Yeah, and even if uh, Taquan Roberson isn't available, like we've made clear in the podcast, how about Micah Bowens? <laughs> I know he, he suited up for the game uh, against Iowa, so he was the de facto third stringer. Maybe you give him the chance, the five foot eleven quarterback out of Las Vegas. You know, a Bishop Gorman guy certainly has played in a lot of marquee games in his career, so um, he's another one you can turn to. But the quarterback controversy, guys, look at it. It's it's pretty clear. It's clear as day that neither of these guys are the right answer. Sean Clifford, the way he is playing right now, he's almost trying to play like Will Levis, if that makes any sense. Like he's trying to run the ball more than he should because he is the better passer than Levis. But if he's not going to pass the ball, if he's going to be hesitant, 
then I, I don't know. I, I think it becomes a much more complex uh, question. And like you guys said, you consider Roberson and maybe you consider Bowens. But regardless, let's move off the quarterbacks. We talk about it too much. Fourth down. Uh, Penn State went for it on fourth down three times against Iowa, converted one of them late in the fourth quarter. But there were two fourth down attempts that stand out to me. One was on a drive in the second quarter, fourth and one at the Iowa 39-yard line, where Will Levis ran it for a one-yard loss after a one-yard run on third and two. Then the very next drive, Penn State gets the ball back. And on fourth and two at the Nittany Lions 49-yard line, uh, Levis throws a back shoulder fade to Jahan Dotson that falls incomplete. Now, both those plays have drawn a lot of ire from Penn State fans. Um, and the, of course, the latter ended up leading to an Iowa touchdown, which James Franklin said is in line with the strategy they're trying to do at Penn State with the program, all those sorts of things. But fourth down conversions, attempts, whatever you want to call it. Uh, what did we think of the play calling and were they the right moves? So, yeah, you mentioned those missed fourth downs. You know, in both of those situations, I, I'm usually a fan of aggressive football, and and um, so does James Franklin. He seems to be at, at moments. So I don't have a problem with going for it on those fourth downs. You know, maybe you consider, is it, is it smarter to punt in this situation? Do you have enough faith in your defense to get a stop? Um, however, I don't understand the play calling at all. Um, you know, why run it, you know, on fourth and one with a quarterback when you know that that's what Iowa is expecting. That's what you've done the entire game so far up to this point. Do something that, you know, you can get those short yardage, but something that's going to cause, you know, Iowa to be off guard. And in the other situation, you know, it just leaves me wondering, when are they going to stop throwing these fades? They don't work. They, they absolutely don't work. You know, the, the reason why the fade exists in the first place is because, you know, it's something that you can throw at the goal line. It's got a low chance of being turned over. And that's a, it's a, in theory, a good play. If you don't have enough faith in your quarterback to throw a riskier pass up the pass up the middle. Problem is Penn state's receivers are five foot 11. You're not throwing it to, you know, six foot five Pat Fryermuth here. You're throwing it to five eleven Jahan Dotson. And part of the, the reason that the fade works in theory is because it's a low turnover potential play. Cause uh, if you miss it's it's just incomplete you're still turning it over even if it's incomplete because it's fourth down. So why are you running this play that is not going to work, you know, half of the time, find something else that works and go with that. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I just don't understand what is up with this play calling. This was something that Penn state fans complained about endlessly last year when Ricky Ronnie was the offensive coordinator. Now we get a new face in town with Kirk Shiraka and it seems like nothing has changed. It seems like Penn state has learned no lessons in terms of, what is effective play calling on offense. It's just been a problem for them over and over and over. And when we're talking about these fourth downs, you know, we say that James Franklin is usually an aggressive guy that likes to go for it on fourth down. But then we saw the flip gets the script get flipped absolutely in the fourth quarter with just over three minutes remaining. They had a fourth and 17 from about midfield. There's only 324 remaining in the game and you're down by almost two touchdowns and you decide to punt at that point. I don't understand that. I mean, what, you need to be aggressive at that moment, maybe be a little less so aggressive in the earlier moments. It seems like they kind of have their priorities flipped right now. I don't understand, you know, what is going through the coach's minds that's saying, all right, we're going to run this, you know, fade play to this 5'11 receiver on fourth down. Okay, we're down by two scores here with three minutes left in the game. We're going to punt. What is going on? I don't understand it at all. So I... 
do not think of myself as clairvoyant or, clairvoyant or I, if I can see in the future. But what I will say is when Jahan Dotson had that 14 and a half, stress the half part catch uh, in, in the, when we're talking about the second, fourth down, um, I had a feeling that Penn State was not going to be able to convert. I When they reviewed that play, I was like, oh, boy, like, here we go. And when they came back and said he was short, you still have two downs. And you're thinking to yourself and I'm talking to myself and, the, and this person, like, Andrew, what do, you, what do you think about? It's like a third in inches. Like, they only need, like, a half yard. And what we've seen all season with Penn State football and what we've seen throughout James Franklin's um, coaching career at Penn State in general is they will not line up under center. They will not go for a QB sneak. However, they will go for a quarterback draw. So that makes, to me, zero sense. And I'm not the proponent, and I'm not one of those um, people that is like, we should, or not we, Penn State should go back to uh, under center and all this yada, yada, yada. All I'm saying is just one play, two plays. Just add it in. I, I don't see the problem with adding it in in practice as a wrinkle or just it, it's not I don't think it's that hard to line up under center you have a six foot three 220 pound plus quarterback in Will Levis push the pile and get a half yard that's all you have to do what does Penn State do no they opt for the quarterback draw and then on that situation they go for the fade to Jahan Dotson down the sideline and Levis misses him by like 10 yards so there are multiple situations where you talk about that set of fourth downs and then the one previous to that where Penn State can't get a yard, can't get two yards. And Iowa's keying in because they know what Penn State's going to do. So really, it just is like the whole – everyone watching knows what they're going to do. The, the spattering of uh, parents and, and family members know what they're going to do. The referees know what they're going to do, and they can't get it. So. I think James Franklin did say something in the press conference where he said, we have to get the yards or run the ball or run the plays when the other team knows what we're going to do. I mean, obviously, like that's just an obvious statement, but it just begs the question, why can't things be changed, especially when there's been multiple situations, not only in this game, but in this season where things like that have happened. And James Franklin and Kirk Sharaka and the whole staff is just basically like, no. So I don't understand why it hasn't even been talked about. We don't know that it hasn't been not been talked about. So we can't say that Penn State isn't talking about it because we were not there. But I think and I think the, the thing that <laughs> made this even more laughable is that Iowa lined up under center twice on short yard situations. And then when they were in the red zone, Spencer Petrus just plows through and gets like four yards. He absolutely I mean, I, it was just like it was. It was pretty fitting. That's all I'm going to say. It was pretty fitting. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. It seems, I mean, it. I would, I would think it would be, lo- it would be logical. It, it seems to be to us and, and to fans, but it, it, the play calling, it makes no sense. Everything you guys talked about, I mean, from not lining up under, under center when you need one yard, especially with Will Levis, who's a, who's a big guy, he's a big quarterback. I, I'd say he'd, he'd easily be able to gain a yard. Um, and then, and then the fade on on fourth and two, um, just 
what are you doing there? You, you, you can't, that's, that's not the play that needs to be called there. Um, especially like DJ was saying, um, not, not to five eleven Jahan Dotson. I mean, he's Jahan Dotson showed he, he has uh, some, some playmaking capability this year, but that that's a, that's a very low probability, um, throw. So, and then, um, the other thing, yeah, not going, not going for it on fourth down when, Penn State is down two scores with three minutes left in the game, but Franklin opts to go for it multiple times randomly throughout other points of the game. It, it just, it's illogical to me. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense um, regarding, you know, the, the fade. I think uh, Franklin said that he's doing everything that he can to inject some energy into the offense. And like, I, I, I understand that, but, do that in why do it on fourth down? Why, um, why not, you know, try to inject some momentum and energy into the offense earlier on in the game because Penn state, they, they really don't, um, it, at least they didn't in, in this game. Um, no, no explosive plays early on, just trying to run the ball and Levis dumping it down underneath. Um, but I mean, I, maybe it's because, uh, like DJ was saying that the, the fade is a, a low um, has a low probability of being turned over. Maybe that's another way that turnovers are killing the team. If, if the, you know, the coaches don't have faith that the quarterback can make a tough throw or um, it can get a, get a, get a yard without fumbling the ball. I don't know. Uh, just the play calling and, and the, then the execution on the other end, it's just, it needs to be better. And it doesn't make, it makes zero sense to me. I think, not to speak for you guys, but at least from a personal standpoint, what I've observed this year is I think James Franklin is at a point, and not just him, but Kirk Sharaka too, the offensive coordinator. I think the team's at a point where it's a bit of a crux. It's the mindset going into these games is need to be aggressive, push the tempo, do things in an aggressive way. And the problem is the personnel doesn't match that. So if you're not going to line up under center, and Andrew, I was going to ask you this, but, you know, having a fullback, that's obviously an important thing we need here. That's a big proponent of the fullback. But um, the, the point being, I, um, I, I just think it's if you don't have the personnel, but you're trying to be aggressive, but you're a team that really shouldn't be aggressive in those situations on fourth down, then you reverse course when you're down by two scores and don't go for it on fourth down. And instead you punt. It, it's hypocritical. It's not intelligent, I would say, from a play calling standpoint, because I think it just goes against the grain which is good if you're Chip Kelly at Oregon in the early 2010s because you have the personnel, you're running up tempo, and you have play calls in mind of what you want to do on those fourth down situations. I cannot remember for the life of me, and maybe I'm remembering wrong, I don't remember Marcus Mariota ever on fourth down throwing a back shoulder fade pass to go for it on the conversion for Oregon. Their whole mindset was go up tempo, get to the line of scrimmage, dominate the line of scrimmage, and plow forward for a first down. So you don't necessarily need to be under scrimmage or uh, under center, but you have to do something like that's your team identity. And right now, Penn State doesn't have that, and that's I can't the problem. Remember, I can't remember who said it, but I'm going to repeat the quote: "What Penn State is and what Penn State wants to be are two different things." Right now, until that changes, this is the result. There you have it. Well, that's uh, a lot for us to take in there, but. One more thing I guess we can bring up and, you know, two questions here and I'll frame it in a way kind of different from what we usually do, but two more things to talk about. Each of you guys can pick one of the two. I'll, I'll do it this way. 
the running backs had 13 carries for 16 yards. Meanwhile, first time in James Franklin's head coaching career that he started off 0-5. And I personally don't necessarily think that he's on the hot seat. But running backs, James Franklin, guys, feel free to choose one of the two. But uh, on these topics, what does the running back committee need to do? And what does the future look like for Franklin at Penn State? I'll go ahead and do the running back question here. Um, You know, the thing that I don't understand is Penn State was running the ball really well early on against Iowa. It seemed like on those first couple drives – They were just punching it down Iowa's gut, and the Hawkeyes couldn't do anything about it. Um, They were getting most of their yards on the ground, and and Levis was doing a lot of that with the draw plays. You know, it makes sense. He's a bigger body frame quarterback. Um, They were running it pretty well with him. They had the other running backs were in there as well, and they were running the short slant plays across the middle in terms of the passing game, and those were working, and Penn State was actually making progress down the field. Now, not, you know, every time were they able to result in getting it points, but they were putting Iowa up against the wall and saying, Hey, we can have our way with this defense, what we're doing with right now. And then all of a sudden they abandon it. And I don't know if it's because of apprehension after what happened on that, that turnover in which um, Levis tried to pitch it to Kevon Lee and threw it way behind him. And Iowa picked it up and went on to score. I don't know if it was an apprehension from that. Um, I don't know if it was a lack of trust in the running back room after Devin Ford left with an injury I don't know what it was, but, you know, we've seen moments this season where the Penn State running game has looked okay, uh, has looked usable, like we did on that opening drive um, or the first two drives for Penn State, like we did um, towards the second half of the Nebraska game, whenever we saw two big runs from um, Keziah Holmes uh, and from um, Kevon Lee. But I, I don't understand why Penn State, you know, can do those things but can't do them over and over again. Something that they can't repeat. They get that little flash of brilliance and then all of a sudden it's gone and they can't replicate it. And that's why the, you know, the, the running backs, uh, the running back room ended the game with a total of, you know, how many yards on the ground was it? Like 62. And it was like eight for, for Keziah Holmes, six for Kevon Lee and two for Devin Ford. You can't do that. You can't have a non-existent rushing attack and, and be a big 10 school. I mean, so much about, Big 10 football is about being able to ground and pound it. And Penn State can't do that. There's no trust there. There's, you know, no development there. There's no willingness to commit to it. Everything is going wrong in terms of being uh, a rushing team. And that makes them one-dimensional. And Iowa is prepared for it. Iowa is one of the best intercepting teams in the country. They finally got Penn State late in the game twice with the, with the, with the pass. Um, but if you don't have a run game, you can't function in the Big Ten, and that's why Penn State's own five. So I guess I'll take the uh, the James Franklin route, the James Franklin question. There's been a lot of heat. He's the head coach has gotten a lot of heat so far this season, and there's been a lot of questions asked. There's been a lot of hypothetical situations of you know who could come in and do a better job, or you know what coach could best fit Penn State. And there's multiple sides of the fan base that are looking at different options. But right now, I think, I don't think that Penn State should fire James Franklin. Just for the fact of, I do want to see as covering the team and just in general, how this team would function um, in a normal setting and in a normal season. And this has been the most difficult season for Penn State football, I think, since 
2012. So, and you look at the, you compare those seasons together and there's different circumstances that both teams have faced. But I think that there's a period where you have to, as you know, looking at like Sandy Barber or you know, the board of trustees. And I don't think that letting James Franklin go will help Penn state football because for the two reasons that I'm thinking of one, who do you hire? Who do you hire? That's a better coach. There's two possibilities off the top of my head, but I don't think either there are a um, realistic possibility. The one is Chris Peterson, um, who's a West Coast guy. Um, I don't think that he would come to Penn State. Um, and then the other is Urban Meyer. Um, and I also don't think that he's going to go for the job. Um, so I think that either of those possibilities, I don't think they're going to work. Uh, or or will work out, I guess. But um, so then, who do you go after? So I, that's the question that I'm really curious about because it's if I it's almost as if I didn't know something that other people don't because you know unless there's really a guy that can you know take over a program that is you know falling right now, I don't think that you can make that switch. And especially you also look at the recruiting the recruiting recruiting class. Geez, I can't talk recruiting class. There we go. um it's been been a long podcast but the recruiting class in future years that has also dipped so that's a little uncharacteristic especially for james franklin who is known to be a recruiter he's a player's coach he he's able to get guys he's you know had a lot of top 15 uh classes in happy valley so far in his seven years but 2021's class is not up to par with what it's usually been so I think that that's a maybe a little sign, but right now I think when you look at the team in the future and how they move forward, I would say you give him one more year, really see, um, saying this hypothetically, but if, if, if Penn State's allowed to play a full schedule next year and see how that fares, you know, I think then you kind of base it off from there. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't pull the trigger just yet in my opinion. And Zach, before we go to you, I just want to interject here about the Franklin contract status, because that's something that I think is really worth uh, bringing up when you talk about whether or not Penn State can move on from Franklin. And here's why I don't think that they can. Um, ESPN reported this back in February, which feels forever ago, but was still just nine months ago this year. Um, It was reported that Coach Franklin's new six-year contract with the school would pay him up to $38.2 million in bonuses. Um, And if terminated by the university, without cause, so meaning he's fired, uh, it would owe him his base pay, supplemental pay, and annual life insurance loan multiplied by the number of years remaining on his contract. So I'm not a math guy. I'm not going to put that all together. But what that basically means to me is we're talking probably north of $20 million just down the drain by going away from Franklin because you have five years remaining on this deal, six, whatever it might be. Um, So from a money standpoint, after a year of COVID where the athletic department is almost certainly going to lose money because you didn't get that football revenue. I don't think it makes much sense to move on from Franklin strictly from a financial standpoint. I know this university has a large endowment, a lot of money, whatever, but you can't just throw away millions of dollars like that, especially uh, considering what a crazy year this year is and what Franklin's pedigree is. But just wanted to throw that in there. Um, Zach, I'll open it up back up to you, but uh, just wanted to give my thoughts there. 
Yeah, no, that, that's a good segue. I was going to tackle the Frank, Franklin question as well. Um, I mean, as you just alluded to, Penn State, I mean, I, I guess they could, but it, it, it wouldn't be wise for them to move on uh, from Franklin contract-wise. And I don't, I don't think they should um, in general. Uh, it's Look, it's bottom line, it's, it's been a messed up year. Um, and I don't think this is a year that, that you can compare to, to others. Uh, he talked, Franklin talked about he's um, in a, in a, in one of his press conferences a couple of weeks ago, how he's having a really hard time, you know, being away from his family uh, with the pandemic and everything. And, and I get that. That's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a messed up year for everybody. And there's a lot of different, you know, roadblocks and hurdles uh, that, that everybody's dealing with. And the same thing goes, you know, the same thing goes for Franklin. He has, he's had to deal with a lot of injuries, um, on the team, obviously Parsons opting out, um, new offensive coordinator, new coaches, um, coaches coming in and out. And there was really no offseason to kind of, you know, really mesh and, and build chemistry and, you know, get together and everything. So with all that said, I'm not out on James Franklin yet. And like Field was saying, who's who's out there who's better? I mean, I I, I, I don't have a name. I, I don't think there is a name. Um, not right now. Um, and he like Franklin has the pedigree. He's done a lot of great stuff for this program. Definitely starting to, I, I don't think you can't at least like question him a little more um, after, you know, first Oh and five start in, in Penn state program history. Um, but I still ultimately think he he's the guy. Ultimately, he is the only coach in Penn State history to lead the team to three 11-win seasons in four years. And we know some of the coaches who have been here because it's a pretty short list, and it includes the likes of Joe Paterno. So uh, from that standpoint, you want to talk about the most accomplished coach in Penn State history? No, he hasn't won national titles. Yeah, he's only won the one Big Ten title. But strictly from the number of wins, um, few compare. And Franklin has done a phenomenal job of that. I think this year is an aberration. The question, though, is what are the long-term effects of this season? Because Andrew talked on it. It's what does the recruiting look like? You guys talked on it both. What does it play for moving forward into the future outside of this year? Because this year, scratch it up. It's a mulligan, anomaly, whatever phrase you want to use. I don't think it should be used from a long-term standpoint. But um, with that, we've talked a lot, and I mean a lot, about Iowa. And a lot of the things from this past game – and really the season in general. It's been a lot of recurring issues. And for Penn State, it's a lot of things that need to be cleaned up in anticipation of a Michigan game this Saturday at noon. Uh, a Michigan team coming off of a triple overtime victory over the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. But um, that's pretty much all that we have for this podcast. You've heard it from all the football insiders, all of our thoughts on Penn State's fifth straight loss. Um, so with that, make sure you tune in on Saturday for more Penn State football coverage, because we will talk more about that upcoming Michigan game between 0-5 Penn State and 2-3 and Michigan. For Andrew Field, DJ Bauer, and Zach Donaldson, I'm Andrew Dustin, and thank you for listening.